Amen. And turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14. If I haven't met you, I see some new folks here. If I haven't met you, my name is Kendall A. I serve as one of the pastors here. It's a joy to look to God's Word together with you. So last week, we had our first uh, class. You've heard it mentioned already. It's called Every Square Inch. It's our adult Sunday school class. And uh, I really enjoyed being with everyone. And, and we, we opened it up with a kind of time where everybody could go around the room and introduce themselves and answer one question. And the question was, what are you most enjoying about this whole COVID thing sort of being behind us? Right? And a wonderful array of answers. Some are you know, enjoying people's smile again, getting to see each other's smile. Some just, hey, I get to see people at all. Uh, going out to restaurants, not needing to uh, have a mask. Uh, but there was a couple people that mentioned the, the same thing that I think you might relate to, uh, and that is that they're enjoying not taking two trips everywhere they go. And, and, and what I mean by that, you know, is, is you, you go to the store because you need to go to the store. And then you turn around and go back to your car or perhaps your house because you need your mask. And then you go to the store a second time so that you can actually go to the store. Don't pretend like that didn't happen to you after 15 months of needing a mask. You know, it's, it's incredible to me that still at the very end, I was still finding myself, oh, oh, okay, you know, got to go back and, and get it. We can be a forgetful people. We're going we're gonna to see a forgetful people in our passage before us this morning. Forget something more important than a mask. We're going to pick up in our series entitled A King Like No Other as we look at Christ through Matthew's inspired eyes. We see the the king at work in this particular passage. We're going to be picking up in verse 22. And if you haven't been with us, the the background, Jesus just finished feeding the 5,000. Right, so that, that has just happened, and now he and his disciples are kind of winding down for the day, getting ready for tomorrow. And that's where we pick up with our narrative. So read with me, if you will. Uh, read quietly as I read uh, out loud uh, verses 22 down through the end of the chapter. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat, by this time, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. And when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached out his hand and took hold of him. 
saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. God's word. So our section begins and ends with a crowd. There is at first the crowd of folks still milling about after supper. Right? There were 5,000 men in addition to that, women and children. So we're talking a big crowd. And then at the end of the passage, they're on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and another big crowd is coming around Christ. And, and they want to be healed. They've heard of his reputation, so they're coming from that entire region, if only to touch the hem of his garment. That's power at work. Jesus doesn't even need to be looking at them or say a word. If only we could touch him, we will be healed, and they were. So between those two crowds, we find Jesus alone. Jesus is alone, and in fact, the disciples are alone as well. And this situation was set up by Christ himself, verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. You guys go on ahead. I'll catch up. I'm going to dismiss the crowds. I have some things I want to get done. And so they jump in the boat and they begin to row across the Sea of Galilee. Now, I don't know exactly how they thought Jesus was going to catch up because they were in the boat. I'm pretty sure they weren't expecting this. Maybe there was another couple boats that were there that they thought he would use. Maybe they thought he'd get an Uber. I don't know what they thought he was going to do, but they thought he was going to catch up. So they head off across this enormous lake. Now, Jesus intended this separation for two reasons. One of them is pretty obvious to us, straight from the passage. He wanted to be alone to pray. He's actually been trying to do this for some time. The reason he was out in the wilderness and the 5,000 people got fed is because he was out there trying to be alone. Don't you hate that? Trying to be alone and 5,000 people show up? (laughs) Jeez. So he, he, he takes the whole day with them, feeds them at the end. Now he's dispersing them. And now finally, he goes up on the mountain and he is alone with his father. Alone yet not alone, drawing strength from this time with God, joy from his relationship with his father. But unknown to his disciples, he had another plan, which was to send them out onto the sea without him. And off they go. And a storm comes up. And this is not uncommon on the Sea of Galilee. It's got hills and mountains around it. So the, the winds will tend to come down and really get rip-roaring across the sea. But though it's not uncommon, it was apparently surprising to them. And they're at their oars and they're, they're rowing. And they're not getting where they were hoping to get. They're straining hour after hour after hour. And the wind is rising and the waves are crashing. And you know what Jesus does? He keeps praying. That's what he does. 
We want to rush the story. We want to get him out on the water. It's cool when he's out on the water. Right? But the text is very specific. They set off, it says in verse 23, when evening came. And then he comes to them, verse 25, in the fourth watch of the night. The fourth watch is between 3 and 6 a.m. So evening is somewhat, uh, you know, who knows. Let's say evening is 9 o'clock. It seems late for evening, but okay. Nine to three is still six hours without him. The trip wasn't supposed to even take that long. But of course, with the wind against them and the waves, it is taking that long. And so they struggle. And so they fight. And so he prays. Until verse 25, the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now, Keep in mind that the disciples' perspective of Jesus at this time slightly different than ours. One, we know the end of the story already, and they didn't. But they're, they're learning who Christ is with each of his miracles, with each of these things. They still don't have it all together as to who Christ really is, that he really is the Son of God. So they're not thinking about some massive realities that, that we can see with New Testament perspective on this. We know that the wind and the waves are his command. They should know that because in chapter 8 of Matthew, he was in the boat and calmed the storm. But we are forgetful people, and we're not remembering that. We know the wind and waves are at his command. We know that the storm itself is doing his bidding. We know that the separation was his planning, that the delay was his timing. All they know is that they're alone and they're being battered by the waves. And as Jesus draws near the boat, walking on the waves, they see him and freak out. <laughs> you know, they, they were not ready for Jesus to be doing this. They thought it was a ghost in, in Greek, and Matthew was written in Greek. Uh, he uses the word phantasma. And you can hear the word phantom in that. They thought he was a, a phantom, an apparition floating in the mist. You can almost see it, right? Sheets of wind, sheets of, of rain getting driven by the wind, and you're seeing this ghostly outline, right? And so they cry out in fear, which brings us to the verse, which is the heart of this passage. The verse upon which the narrative turns, verse 27, immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Here's his encouragement to them. Take heart, take hope, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, this little phrase in the middle there, it is I. Right? On one hand, take heart. On the other hand, don't be afraid. But in the middle, it is I. Now, there's a couple meanings to this little phrase. On one, it clearly means, hey, it's me. It's, it's Jesus. Stop freaking out. It's all right. You recognize my voice, right? It's okay. But there is more to the phrase than we can see in English. Because again, in the original, what's written is, I am. Take heart. I am. Be not afraid. 
See, 2,000 years before Jesus was walking on that water, Moses was kneeling in front of a burning bush. And God told Moses, he says, go deliver my people from Egypt. And he says, okay, but who should I say sent me? They're going to ask, who sent me to do this? Who should I say? And God, for the first time in human history, revealed the divine name to Moses. He said, tell them that I am sent you. I am that I am, which is sometimes transliterated into English both as Jehovah and Yahweh. That's a a way of saying the, the Hebrew, I am. And so here's Jesus walking on the water, disciples thinking they see a ghost. Take heart, I am. Be not afraid. The heart of the passage is right here in verse 27, in the arrival of Christ and in the revelation of Christ to his He's revealing himself to them right here. Take heart, your friend is here. Take heart, your God is here. And then Peter. Peter, never the last one to talk. Never the last one with an idea that he's not afraid to share. Lord, if it's you, then, I don't know, tell me to come out there. And the Lord says, come. I think the Christ walking on the water is a phenomenal miracle. But mortal man, sinful man, walking on the water is astounding. And there's Peter crawling out of the boat over the side, putting sandaled foot, dirty human sandaled foot, on the waves and walking to Jesus. What a moment. I mean, guys, do you see this? (laughs) Check this out! Do you see what's going on? But the moment didn't last long enough for him to turn back to the disciples. Or if he had, he soon wished he hadn't. He doesn't look back to the disciples, but he does look away from Christ. And as soon as he does that, he sees the waves. He remembers the storm. He felt the spray from the wind. And he felt the fear rising up in his heart. And as the fear rose, his feet sank. As he began to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So what happened here? Have you ever forgotten your mask on your way into a store? Had to turn back around and go get what you needed? Well, Peter was forgetful too. In one moment, he heard Jesus say, Take heart. I am. Be not afraid. Come here. And in the next moment, he forgot Jesus. In the next moment, the waves washed away the memory. The the wind blew it out of his mind and the raging storm displaced the reigning king in Peter's attention. And down he sank. Lord, save me. Now what what does Jesus do? Verse 31. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? 
Okay, there are two things we need to see that are happening here. Right? Two, two connections we want to make. First, Jesus corrects Peter for having little faith. Why did Peter sink? Because he doubted. Why did you doubt? He doubted. He had little faith. What does it mean to have little faith? I think it, it can sound like it means to have a small amount of faith. Like, Peter, you have a small amount of faith, and you should have a, a greater amount of faith, and then you wouldn't have sunk. But, but that's not what determines the strength of faith. The strength of faith is not found in its quantity. The strength of faith is found in its object. What is faith looking at? That's the difference between a, a weak faith, a little faith, or a strong faith. A large faith is one that simply clings to Jesus, that doesn't take their eyes off Jesus, that focuses and relies upon Jesus. That faith is great because Christ is great. Because he is a sure and steady anchor. Or in this case, I guess, life raft would be a better analogy than anchor. He's the sure one that keeps you afloat. Peter looked away from Jesus because of the storm raging around him. Friend, that's easy to do. That is easy to do. To look at the wind and the waves. To dwell on the diagnosis. To fixate on the finances. To stress on the circumstances. Friend, it's, it's easy to do that in the storm. But, but Christian, the, the threat from the storm is not that it will destroy you. The threat from the storm is that it will distract you from looking to Jesus. Therein is the threat from every storm you will face. That it will, it will scream at you to look at it instead of at Him. To look at the waves instead of the master of the waves. Here is little faith. Anytime we're not looking at Jesus. Anytime we're looking or trusting or fearing something other than Christ. If it's circumstances or finances or our own ability or our own control or our own planning. To the degree that you're trusting anything other than Jesus, your faith is little. To the degree that you're looking to Him, your faith is great. So, does this passage teach us to trust fully in Christ and not be one of little faith? Yes. Amen. It does. It clearly does. But that's not the biggest lesson. Not the biggest one here. The second one is far more important. Now, did, did Peter forget Jesus? Yes. Did he have little faith? Yes. Did he experience doubt? Yes. And that's why he drowned, right? Well, what? That's why, that's why Jesus looked at him and said, Oh, Peter, you're so close, man. I mean, good faith getting out of the boat. But hopefully the guys back in the boat will learn from your example as you sink like a rock to the bottom of the sea. That's not the ending of the story. Because the main point is not that Peter forgot Jesus. 
the main point is that Jesus didn't forget Peter. That's the point of the passage. Lord, save me, and he was saved instantly, despite the doubts and despite the little faith. Immediately, Jesus saved him. That was his response to Peter. He didn't first lecture him, he first saved him. True, he would address Peter's faith, but he would address Peter's faith after he secured Peter's salvation. He would first get him safe. So, does this passage call us to a stronger faith, a deeper faith in Christ? Yes, it does. But more than that, this is a message of comfort for those who have little faith, for those who are plagued by doubt, for those who are all who are acquainted with Jesus, yet are acquainted with looking away. This is a message of hope. This is this is the story of Peter's faith growing up in the real world. You know? We, we, we tend to think of Peter as the, the guy at the end of his life, you know, leading the church in many ways. And forget that his road of growing in faith was imperfect and halting and incomplete, and he was immature. Because this passage is for those disciples. Those disciples who take a little bit of time to grow. Who, who, who take some time to get it. Who take some time to learn to trust. And it's about Jesus meeting those disciples anyway. That's what this is about. And this is good news for you and for me. Who tend to forget our Lord. So friends, when the storm comes, and come it will, Use the faith you have. Use the faith that you have. The storm is going to reveal your weakness. It's going to reveal your doubts. It's going to reveal where your faith is small. But use the faith that you have to look to Christ. Just look to Him. God's going to use the storm to grow you, not to destroy you. Child of God, this is why God sends storms. To grow you, not to destroy you. The storm revealed Jesus. It revealed his power, his presence, his person. That's what's going on here. That's what it did for Peter and the disciples. Look again at verse 32 and 33. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So what's happening here? Jesus sent his disciples on ahead. He sent a storm to their little boat. He delayed his coming until their situation was desperate so that he could reveal himself to them and cause them to worship. And they didn't get it. They didn't trust the whole time that he had control over the storm, that any of this was according to his plan. They didn't remember that he was the one that sent them out onto the sea. They certainly didn't know he was back on the shore praying for them at that very time. Perhaps they're thinking that the storm came by chance. Friend, no storm has ever come by chance. Perhaps they're thinking that Jesus had forgotten about his disciples. Friend, Jesus never forgets about his disciples. 
not once. Perhaps they thought things were spinning out of control. When in fact, all things are in his control. But despite their doubts and their concerns and their worries and their little faith, it didn't matter because Jesus came anyway. And he rescued them anyway. And he used the storm to reveal himself to them and they worshipped him. You know, as a pastor, I've spoken to now many folks in some of the worst moments of their life. Just walking through a season of suffering. And somewhat commonly, I hear something like this. I can hardly even pray. I can hardly even pray. I don't have the strength. All I can do is say, God help me. Or, God I need you. Or even just, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's all I can say. And I see that prayer in this passage as very pleasing to God. Because as Peter was thinking, he simply cried out, Lord, save me. This was not a very, you know, profound prayer. And it was enough. And the Lord reached out and saved his servant from the depths. So, so the passage is clearly about faith. It's got, it's got a lesson in there that we grow in our faith. But what I've observed that Christians can do is in the middle of a storm, look to their own faith. Assess their own faith. Take the temperature of their own faith. And based upon that, they then deduce whether God's going to meet them or not. That's why people tell me, Pastor, I feel like I can hardly pray. And all I can say is, Lord, help me. They're they're saying, my faith feels so weak, there's no way God's going to meet me. Do we want to grow in our faith? Yes. But Christian, in the middle of the storm, don't look to your faith. Look to your Savior. Forget about your faith. Just keep looking to Jesus. Don't think about how you're feeling in that time. Look to Him. He is the Savior. Your faith is not the Savior. He is the powerful one, even when your faith is weak. He is mighty to save, even when you are full of doubts. Just keep looking back to Jesus. That's how faith grows, by the way. That's actually you growing in faith. When you're forgetting how you're feeling, and you're refusing to pay attention to the waves, and you keep looking to Jesus, that's faith getting strong. That's God being glorified. So, friend, Jesus is enough in the storm, whatever the storm is. If you are a child of God, then, friend, he is enough regardless of where your faith is. He will meet you. And he will meet you and he will draw near to you out into the storm. He will reveal himself to you in a way that you hadn't known before. Take heart, I am. That's one thing to read. It's another thing to hear from God in the storm. So, friend, when the storm comes, look not to your faith in its weakness. Look to your God and his strength. 
because he is enough. I'm going to close us in prayer. Worship team, if you could come up. And as the worship team comes up, we're going to, we're going to respond to this message by taking communion together and, and taking that step of, again, placing our faith in him. Let's pray. Lord, I, I just ask right now that for any who are in the storm right now, that you would strengthen their faith. You would help them to look to you afresh again and again and again as each day requires. That you would meet them as each day requires. Your presence would be there. You would reveal yourself. You would be their Savior in their storm. We are so thankful for the promise of your presence with us to the end of the age, and on that we hope. In your name, amen.